0: You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome
1: to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio. I'm Pete Weitzer. I'm in for Rick Franzi. And if you would like to learn more about the radio... Show and CEO peer groups that Rick Franzi leads, and you can visit Rick's company website at www.criticalmassforbusiness.com. You can call or text Rick at 949-887-4104. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to our show David Scranton. He is the author of Return on Principle, Seven Core Values to Help Protect Your Money in Good Times and in bad. He's one of the nation's most successful and respected independent financial advisors. David Scranton has been specializing in the latest income gathering, savings, and investment strategies, and his latest book, Return on Principle, that's Principle PLE, focuses on the seven core values that can help protect your money in both good times and bad. He joins us today to share how we can all maximize retirement and focus on income while mastering the inside game. Welcome, David. No, thank you so much for having me, Pete. Terrific, terrific. Here. Why don't you start, I, I would ask any any guest. I'm 30 years, I should mention real quickly, 30 years a journalist, last 20 running the broadcast journalism program at Chapman University, so I would ask any guest, tell us a little bit about your journey, and then we'll get to the present.
2: <clears throat> well, I started in this business in the 1980s, which, of course, was the best stock market in U.S. history, so... As a result, I started as a stock market-based advisor, as many advisors, almost all advisors were back then, and and most still are today. Toward the late 1990s, I started to realize that the model, the business model that had helped my clients for over a decade, I realized that it wasn't going to help my clients anymore. I realized that we're about to have another drop, a significant drop in the stock market, and I realized that Are you also referring to the oldest mantra, which is buy and hold? In in large part, yes. Uh, Buy and hold is a subcategory that I think today just simply doesn't work anymore. But it's interesting because, again, I thought back in the the late 90s that the market was going to take a drop and it was going to take a long time before things got better. And that's how I transitioned to becoming a specialist in the income model, in the universe of, as I like to say, non-stock market income-generating strategies.
1: Does that, when I would hear income, and maybe this is my old definition, it would imply safety over rate of return? Is, is that how? Is that what changed in your
2: strategy? Not necessarily because, yes, in a bull market like the 80s and 90s, again, that was the best 20-year period we'd ever seen in the stock market. Yes, when you look for safety in the middle of a bull market, yes, you are definitely going to decrease your return. But, for example, over the last 16 years since the turn of the century, the average growth rate in the stock market is really just a little bit over 2% per year. So, ironically, for over the last 16 years, people have been able to lower their risk and increase their return at the same time by investing for income instead of growth. Well,
1: talk about, so you make this transition, does that mean you strike out on your own? How did it work?
2: Yes, uh, it eventually meant that. It meant that I had to, had to become independent because many advisors, many firms and many advisors today still specialize in the stock market. Many firms do it, I, I believe, because they can justify higher fees and higher commissions if, if they have their brokers and advisors have their clients into things that are a little riskier that require more active management. And as a result, I said, well, yes, I have to become independent. I cannot work for a big firm uh, because my model simply is in conflict with theirs.
1: But let's talk specifics about uh, the book, but first specifically about your strategy.
2: Well, the strategy that I embarked on back in late 1998 and early 1999 is getting people to realize that they don't have to cross their fingers and toes hoping for growth or capital appreciation. Because sometimes you invest for growth and you end up with shrinkage instead. <laughs> and that in that the, the you know the sure thing is the burden of hand in the investment market is really income. You know, once you get an interest give us some examples. I know obviously the
1: industry people know, but the you know, the lay people listening to this may not.
2: Different examples of income based investment are things that have really existed for decades and decades going back a hundred years. Things like uh, municipal bonds, uh, corporate bonds, preferreds, certain types of annuities, maybe even certain types of business development corporations or REITs. And I, I think the reason is funny, you know, the fact that I even have to define that, which I, I know why I do, but, but to me means that we are a country of investors who in the 80s and 90s became addicted to the stock market. We lost sight of the fact that there's a whole universe of investment options that lie in between what I often refer to as the bookends. The bookends are simply bank CDs on the conservative side and the stock market on the more aggressive side. And the reason I think people lost sight of all that stuff in the middle, the things that I just listed for you and for your listeners, is because... Back in the 80s and 90s, people were able to get good returns in the stock market, double-digit returns nearly every year. And if they wanted safety, they could get five, seven, maybe even more by being in bank CDs. It was only more recently that the stock market struggled and that bank CD rates came down to virtually zero, and people had to get back to basics when it comes to their money, get back to that universe between the bookends.
1: Well, it goes to, again, one of the oldest sayings,
2: which is people
1: with money... They would prefer to make money, but more than that, they prefer to keep their money.
2: That's right. That's right. That's part of the reason for the the, the pun in the title, "Return on Principle."
1: Well, let's get. We're going to get to your book. Tell you about. We've got to take a quick break, David, and then we're going to get to your book and talk about what the uh, seven um, the seven core values that uh, you enunciate in your book are. So we are talking with author and thirty year investment specialist. Uh, David Scranton. Uh, We will be right back. You're listening, uh, perhaps watching Critical Mass Radio. I'm Pete Weitzner and for Rick Franzi We'll be right back with David Scranton.
0: Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups.
1: I want to welcome you back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio. I'm Pete Weitzner, in for your regular host, Rick Franzi. I have a 30 year uh, thirty years of experience in business journalism and business. I was a CPA way back in the day uh, in New Jersey. If they'll one up to that. And for the last almost 20 years, I've run the broadcast journalism program at Chapman University. All the shows, by the way, can be heard anytime. All of the Critical Mass Radio shows on iTunes, on Stitcher.com, Breaker.com, several hundred former guest websites whose CEOs appeared on the show. Since we started in 2009, Rick Franzi's Critical Mass Radio has reached over 180,000 listeners with their podcast. So you simply type Critical Mass Radio Show in your podcasting software to find the podcast of our weekly interviews. Now let's get back to our guest, and he is David Scranton, most recently the author of Return on Principle with a P-L-E, seven core values, to help protect your money in good times and bad. So, David, your book title mentions seven core values to help protect your money. What are the seven values?
2: The uh, seven core values are, are really something that I deemed from my guests, my guests over the last year or so on our weekly television show. And what I started to realize was, you know, there are a lot of books out there about what I call the outside game, about the, Things like, you know, algorithms, when to buy, when to sell, how your asset allocation should look for certain goals and so on. But in interviewing my guests, some multi, multi-millionaires, some billionaires over the last year plus, uh, I've realized that what separates those that are very successful from those that are not, uh, is the same thing that separates financial advisors who are very successful versus those that are not. And that has a lot less to do with these, the, in, the outside game and these rules and algorithms, but more about the inside game. Do they really have the right stuff in their mind to really, truly be good as an investor or good as an advisor? And as a result, I have narrowed it down to these seven things, and they are overprotection, detail orientation, diligence, coachability, leadership, Honesty, And lastly, and and really this last one is something that you get if you can he- adhere to the other six, is fearlessness, a fearless retirement.
1: Any uh, it, it might be hard to ask you on the spot. Did anyone guess, perhaps it's even a name we might know, especially when you mentioned billionaires, that stood out that as a couple of values represent, represented in your book?
2: Well, when you mentioned people like a Steve Forbes or a Muhammad Olarian or a... Peter Morisi, you know those are people that I feel like I just I, I, I get a lot of pearls from a lot of wisdom over the course of the last year or so, and that was really the initial inspiration. And then it's funny as I interviewed more people and start to dig deeper, that's when I really realized that that it's you know there really are some certain internal traits. And what's neat about the book, what I've done is you know I was afraid that this book would end up in the psychology department psychology shelf of various bookstores and be something that's kind of high level and theoretical but i didn't want As that I to, to business be or investing or finance that's right exactly i want it to be tangible something that people can use to improve their own fearlessness when it comes to investing and that's why we put questions in the book questions that a do-it-yourself investor can ask him or herself to determine if he or she progresses those seven core values and if not then questions they can use to go out and interview a financial advisor to make sure that that financial advisor with whom they're interviewing also possesses those seven core values because, you know, it's an error to assume that just because someone decided to become a financial advisor as a profession, it's an error to assume that they have mastered that inside game. You know, it's like anything else. Some people get into medicine for the right reasons. Other people get into medicine for the wrong reasons. And the same is true with the financial advisory field. So these questions are designed to be tangible to help somebody assure that yes my guy is the right guy for me he has these seven core values
1: well let's talk about financial advisors do you recommend and if you do you recommend and maybe it's not one size fits all but do you recommend having a financial advisor and if you do at what point in somebody's
2: career should they get one why do you
1: recommend a financial advisor if you do
2: you know, it's definitely not one-size-fits-all. What I do find is that 85% of the population doesn't possess the seven core values or doesn't possess all of them, and as a result, yes, for that 85%, they definitely, definitely should seek outside help. But if they have those seven core values, you know, if, if they're not just the offensive coordinator, if they've got that defensive coordinator mindset, great, they possess overprotection. protection. If they're detail-oriented enough, they're not going to buy a mutual fund based upon a star rating or a stock based upon an analyst buy rating. They're going to dig deeper than that and do the research, and they possess detail orientation. If they're willing to do the hard work, even when their best, best friend calls them up and says, hey, it's a beautiful day. Let's go play golf. If they say, no, I can't for the next three hours and have the sense of diligence to stick with it and to do what they're supposed to do with their money, then great. They've got financial diligence. Uh, if they are faced with a preponderance of evidence which says that the old rules simply don't work anymore, some rule of finance that they held near and dear to their heart for a long time, and now they've gotten all this external proof which says that it, it just doesn't work anymore, You know, are they coachable enough to listen to that and make a change versus stubbornly holding on to something that used to work but perhaps doesn't work anymore? And are you a good enough leader to make that change? Do uh, you have the leadership qualities to take the path less traveled when necessary? And and lastly, are you brutally honest with yourself? Are you willing to be brutally honest with these previous five areas? And if you are, then I think some of the best investors out there, some of the best some of the happiest retirees are people that manage their own money. But again, It's only about fifteen percent of the population that I believe truly, truly possesses these seven core values.
1: So it's it's fairly the old saying about someone who represents
2: themselves in a courtroom; they have a fool for a client. Again, with eighty-five percent, absolutely, because those are the people that can't trust their gut instincts. Those are the people that can't separate. You know, they, they can't separate the emotion from the logical when it comes to their money. And that happens a lot. You know, when you're tied into something, it's hard to make impartial, unbiased decisions. So
1: Let's uh, so let's we'll- talk, David. Let's talk real world. These are very uncertain. Though, I don't know when they're not, but very uncertain times, right? Nobody knows which Absolutely. way the election will go, will go, and two candidates with starkly different policy that will. And I I've, I've watch the markets every day. They're trading on moves in the election. How do you, how does one protect their retirement money from what? I know it's been flatlining the last few months, but what's likely to be some real market turmoil, which we've seen, of course, many times before. Well,
2: what's interesting is the whole concept of investing for income instead of growth. By definition, helps one protect his or her money because, again, if you if you've got a fix, the definition of fixed income means that the income in most of these securities are is exactly that it's fixed. Sure. So if an investment goes up and down in value, it bothers people a little bit less if they know that the interest and dividend is consistent that they're getting from that particular investment. And frankly, I think it's a great time for a lot of people who are within 10 years of retirement or who are retired to begin to make that paradigm shift if they haven't already. Let's face it, the markets that are record high, and frankly, we have 200 years of history that says that if we don't have at least a thirty percent drop in the stock market from where we are today, that's three zero thirty percent, then we literally will be breaking three world records regarding the stock market. And and I believe, you know, it will the election be the tipping point? I don't know, but two hundred years of history is a pretty compelling argument.
1: <laughs> have
2: you ever had I
1: mean it seems obviously very solid and conservative but have you ever had you formulated this new strategy over the last 20 years? And what do they call it? The law of unintended consequences. And what would it be in your case? Interest rates out of nowhere, what, just spike high and these fixed and the, the principal on these fixed income investments goes down? Have you ever had that
2: happen? No, but the, the biggest thing that happened with the law of, of unintended consequences, I love that term, uh, was back in 2008 in the financial crisis. You know, we mentioned all the seven or eight different types of investments that fall into this income world, and one of them is preferred. Well, it just so happened that preferreds, uh, back then at least, 70% of all preferreds were financial companies. And preferreds typically don't drop very much when the stock market drops. But what happened in 2008 was different because the stock market dropped because of concerns about systemic financial failure. So a lot of the preferreds dropped 30%, 40% in value. Now, this isn't supposed to happen, much. <laughs> <But, laughs>
1: well, do you, wor- do you worry with what's
2: going on with Deutsche Bank that we could possibly
1: – I mean, I assume most of preferred stock is still in uh, uh, in financial assets. Do you worry that we might be looking at a repeat of 2008?
2: Well, we very well could. Absolutely. But what saved us in 2008 is that preferreds are more like a bond than anything else, and as a result, they've got a par value or a face value. So, yes, they dropped, but as soon as the government came out with a TARP program to bail out all the big financial institutions, the price came back. And meanwhile, some of the biggest financial preferreds, even AIG, for example, never once, never once skipped a dividend. So that was an unintended consequence, um, and everything turned out well, and, and now the government's actually made it easier with financial companies because they've actually created a list after 2008 of those companies that are too big to fail. So now they're basically telegraphing for us that there's certain companies that they're going to bail out no matter what. So in some ways, our job's gotten even easier in the sixth income world.
1: I want to talk to you a little bit about publishing. We've got a lot of folks who would write like to write a book uh, out there, and, you, and, and you've done it, and it's not your first, or it is your first. And, but I'd love to know about the process today.
2: Yeah, this is uh, I guess it's technically my second book, but we we in some ways it's my third because this particular book, we had ninety percent written on a different topic. and <laughs> I looked at the manuscript, I wasn't feeling it, and I realized from the guests on my show that there was something that people investors needed more. There are enough books about this outside game stuff I talked about earlier that they needed to learn about this inside game. So I literally took 90% of a finished book, put it through the paper shredder, and started all over again. So that's my best advice to somebody is when they're writing a book, make sure that it's something that they believe in, that they're passionate about, that they can get behind. Because writing a book is a lot of work. And you have to be excited about it, but also you've got to make sure it's something that you're not the only one in the world that's excited about it. We got really lucky here because we started this well over a year ago, and I was hoping it would be a hot topic even 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 now in the fall of 2016. And lucky for us, in the first week or so, we ended up on two of Amazon's bestseller lists. So. That's part of following your heart, following your passion, and, and being good at reading what people really want and need.
1: You mentioned us, so you had someone help you with the writing part or uh, had that work, had a partnership it sounds like?
2: No, when I say we, I mean myself and my whole publishing team, because you've got you know, you've know, got yourself as writer, and then sometimes people have a, a ghostwriter, for example, somebody who helps them with some of the content, uh, and the best books are ones that even if you do have a ghostwriter, that the person who has the initial vision has a very, very active role. But then after that, you have three different sets of editors, and every editor has a different opinion. Uh, they very seldom agree with each other, much like if you have three children. Usually your children don't all agree with each other at the same time. And, and as a result, you keep making changes for each iteration. And that's basically the process that, uh, that it occurred over the last year and three months or so. And uh, that's why people have to love it and be excited about the concept of what they're writing about because it truly is a lot of work. And um, and I wasted 90% of my time on the first iteration, but now I look back and I'm so grateful that I did because uh, clearly this is what people, people agree, that this is what they need and, and this is what they want, not just another book about algorithms and the outside game.
1: I've seen many times the famous quote, every man should have a child, plant a garden, and write a book. So... Uh, you, you, you've, you've accomplished the last one I don't know anything else about you but that's congratulations on that final question because we have to wrap things up only um, how does someone get in touch with David Scranton if they want to learn more about you the principles, your
2: book well th- the best way to buy the book we can buy it through a couple of other sources but the website is returnonprinciple.com and, and, again, principle ends in P-L-E, as you indicated earlier. And if they want to learn more about my, about me personally, the best way is to go to soundincomestrategies.com. Terrific. We've been talking with David Scranton,
1: 30-year investor, financial advisor, and author of the recent book, Return on Principle, as he mentioned, at P-L-E. Seven core values to help protect your money in good times and bad. David, I've enjoyed the conversation. I have also, Pete. Thank you so much. You bet. We will be back with more Critical Mass Radio. We're going to talk to Toby West about a topic that couldn't be more salient cybersecurity. Toby teaches that at Coastline College. We'll be back on Critical Mass Radio. Pete Weitzner in for Rick Francie. Dot criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group.
0: You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.